Hello and welcome to the Carolina Snowflakes podcast, where two Southerners come to terms with their liberal snowflake tendencies. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda. And I'm Jason. And we're here with this week's episode of the Carolina Snowflakes podcast. This one's called Southern Fried Armchair Psychology. Yeehaw! But before we get into any of that, I have a disclaimer. Neither I nor Amanda have any formal training or qualifications to assess or diagnose any psychological maladies on any persons, living or dead. That being said, we're going to do it anyway. End of disclaimer. So, for Christmas this year, I got a lot of great gifts from you. You always are a great gift giver. Thank you. I appreciate that. And one thing that you gave me is a really, really thick, gigantic book that's called Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Otherwise known as the DSM-5. And that is the book that psychologists and therapists use to diagnose and communicate with each other on the official definitions of diagnoses of mental disorders. And why would you give that to me for Christmas? Were you trying to tell me I have a mental disorder? I was like, here, you need this. It's because I wanted it because I find it very interesting. I got interested in psychology from from being a teenager and first discovering like serial killers and being like, what? And then learning like there's therapists and people that they got diagnosed with conditions. And that was like, oh, what does all that mean? And I got interested in it and I've been interested ever since. But you are also interested in psychology. I am. And that's more recent, I think, for me. Uh Uh-huh. Because I actually went to school for sociology, Uh which a lot of people mix up with psychology. Right. But they're totally different. Oh, what's the difference? Well, sociology is the study of people in groups mm-hmm. and psychology is the study of people as individuals. Ah, okay. So And in school, the sociology department and the psychology department live next door to each other, yeah, but they're, they're but they're arch nemesis. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> the local they're hometown rivals. Enemies. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> because they'll both approach the same subject but from two very different uh-huh. angles and lenses. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So you guys had like a rival. Did you have like a touch football game that you played or something? We could have, but I don't think social people. <laughs> none of them. None of them were. None of us enough. are really very fit. <laughs> <laughs> we could have had like a bingo or maybe. Yeah, we could have like totally duked it out over some bingo or, or played something. some video games. All right, well that's that's <laughs> great, and that that was the beginning of your like major interest in psychology, like just generally. Um, that and I just have always been a people watcher. Yeah, I've always liked. I'm a creeper, I guess. So you I like going to public places and just watching people and trying to figure out what's wrong with them. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Well, um, my question is: uh, Has your loyalty stuck to only wanting to be interested in them in groups, or have you found that you're also interested in people as individuals? I'm definitely more interested now in individuals. Mm, so I see. Shifted. You, I you've see the, mar- the dark side. No, I have with no, no. <laughs> I hope none of her college sociology pals are listening. Yeah, turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> um, no, I just I see the value now in mm. both fields in yeah. trying to understand human behavior. Yeah, if I'm being honest, I think they're they're both pretty equally valuable. Yes. So one of the areas of psychology that I personally find most interesting and have for a long time is the field of studying narcissism. Yeah. And 
just so you know, narcissism is defined as a disorder in which a person has an inflated sense of self-importance. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all kind of know that. So you're like a narcissologist. A narcissologist, yes. Okay. Interesting. And I also find it fascinating all the various types of narcissism because there's a mm-hmm. slew of them. Yeah. One of them being kind of related to sociology, actually, in collective narcissism yeah meaning like narcissism of a group yeah like american exceptionalism exactly yeah and so i read about a study that was conducted in 2018 that was published in the journal of psychological science called collective narcissism americans exaggerate the role of their home state in appraising u.s history ha (laughs) yes how important is your state so in this particular study The science nerds asked a sampling of Americans from all 50 states one question. Hmm. In terms of percentage, what do you think was your home state's contribution to the history of the United States? Hmm. So basically, how much has your state contributed to the overall history of the country in a percentage amount? I get a lot of ego. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In a study like this one, there is no real right or wrong answer. Um, Although I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure some historians <laughs> could make the case for certain states having greater impact in general on U.S. history, yeah. but not necessarily down to like a percentage amount. That's mm. kind of unusual. Yeah, yeah, to get it down to a percentage is unusual. <laughs> so this study was less about the specific answers given and more about the people or the group of people uh-huh. answering it. Right. And some interesting findings from this study. Yeah. Residents of Delaware believed on average that their state helped create 33% of the nation's history. (laughs) Wow, Delaware. Georgians believed their state played almost a central role at 28%. Georgia? I mean, I guess it's important. They got Atlanta and stuff, but good Lord. Texans and Californians, two states famous for their braggadocio, ranked themselves at 21 and 22%. Huh. Which was massive, but nowhere near Virginia's 41% ranking. Oh, <laughs> and I Massachusetts ranked themselves at 35%. Yeah, I could kind of see that too. But I find it interesting that Texas and California are so close. You'd think one of them would think it was way more important than the other, but they both kind of get it. Yeah, and what was universal in all of the study participants was a sense of self-inflated importance of their own state. Yeah. And it was dubbed... The communal selective memory, (laughs) choosing either purposefully or subconsciously to only recall the important moments in history from their own states and not others. Even people from states like Kansas or Wyoming seemingly exaggerated. Wyoming? Yes, seemingly exaggerated their own opinions or their own state's importance in history. I, what what possible importance does Wyoming have? Is there any anything even there? Who knows? There? Who knows? Yeah. Well, can, so Kansas became a state. Yeah, bloody in 1861, Kansas. Yeah. And Wyoming in 1890, which was nearly a hundred years after Delaware became a state, right? along with the twelve others that were part of the thirteen colonies, right? That became our country's first states. Yeah. So you'd think they would have more weight, just generally because they've been there longer, right? You, if we're talking history. I, uh-huh. would, I personally would put the 13 colony states as towards the top of importance. Right. But apparently Wyoming's filled. Uh, Wyoming begs to yeah, differ. Yeah, they, they feel differently if, about If we it. have any Wyoming's list, Wyoming's? Wyomingans? Whatever the, you're called. 
if we have any listening, which I doubt because I don't even think there are people in Wyoming, but if there are and they're listening, let us know. I want to know why in the hell is your state important at all? So when you think about percentages, you go from 0% to 100%. And when you're adding percentages, in theory, you should stop at 100%. Yeah, in theory, it would add up to 100. But when the researchers added up all the average percentages given for each state during this study, the total was 907%. (laughs) So, (laughs) ooh. They were like, hmm, this seems skewed. (laughs) People are 800% narcissistic is what the answer to that is. So, yes. So... They decided to throw in a new variable by having participants take a short history test before asking them the question of how much did your state Ah. contribute to the history of the country. The test was designed to refresh the participants' memory on actual historical events Mm -hmm. with the thinking by scientists that reminding folks of actual history in terms of location and relevance might bring the exaggerated rankings down at least a little bit. Yeah. Didn't work. Didn't work. People were (laughs) still stubborn. Study participants still hyperinflated the importance of their own state over others. Huh. And researchers put forth three possible explanations as to why. Number one, state history is often drilled into people when they're in school. Yeah, you have to take a a history class on your own state, and they make it seem like your state's the only thing that matters. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. So apparently that happens everywhere. Yeah, it does. And everyone has that bias just sort of, as I said, drilled into them. So that's like a public school bias. Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. Number two, Americans and just people in general are really bad at math yeah. and giving estimations using percentages. Yeah, it's hard to do. <laughs> yeah. And number three, people inherently tend to think of themselves as above average well, yeah. and associate themselves with other successful groups. That's because we're American. By God, we're American. Yeah. So you would think that Americans then would be the most narcissistic of all the countries in the world. Well, if I'm... Now that I'm thinking about it, I think we are 800% better than the rest of the world. And so we should add up to eight to 900. 907%. <laughs> yeah. Well, this study posed that question that I just asked you. Mm-hmm. And they, they took it further. They did it globally? They did. That's awesome. This study ended up being so interesting that these smart science nerds decided to branch out and conduct the same study on a global scale. Huh. And rather than asking about specific states, they approached residents from 35 countries and asked them, how much has your country or nation contributed to the history of the world? Oh, they only did 35 countries? Well, I mean, resources, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess they didn't have Listen, people I didn't speak make enough the study. <laughs> yeah, that's the disappointing part, because I'd like to hear the whole world. Yeah, well... Okay, so the the collective narcissism around the world was much larger than scientists could have imagined. Oh, yeah, well. Even the smallest of countries ranked themselves incredibly high in importance. Yeah, that's that that education. Small both in size and or in population. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Malaysians said they contributed 49% (laughs) of the world's history. Malaysians. Portugal gave themselves credit for 38%. What? And Canadian participants said their country contributed 40% of the world's history. Okay. Well, then what are they, (laughs) what would you propose then England would be? Well, well, we'll get there. (laughs) So, based on just that handful of numbers, you would 
assume or think then that if those countries were ranking themselves so high, that the U.S. must place itself even higher. Yeah, I think it would be off the charts. Yeah, you would think it'd be like near 100 or more percent. Somehow we're more than 100%. Like, I mean, we're kind of notoriously nationalistic and self-centered in America. But that's not what happened. Oh, In the global study, participants from the U.S. gave the country an average ranking of 26% in contribution to world history. So so what I'm getting here is that people think their state is the most important state, but then America is about the quarter responsible for everything. Right. Well, that's – I mean, I guess everyone here knows we're the youngest country. It's hard to argue – global importance when you have only been around for a fraction of the time of a lot of the other countries. I don't know. Yeah, that's just interesting. Canada, 40%? Yeah, though? what the hell, Canada? Canada, come on, y'all. Y'all aren't that important. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's the study uh, in whole. Would you like to guess um, in the global portion of the study what country ranked itself the highest? France. No. Oh, that's my guess. My guess is straight on France. No, actually, it was Russia. Oh, Russia. Yeah. They they love skewing polls and shit, too. Some of them were probably like, yes, 100%. Because they just wanted to fuck with Because it was <laughs> Americans like, giving the they test. They were like, hello, Russia. Yeah. Um, How much did you contribute to global world history? All of it. It was all. All. All history. All history is Russian, Russian history. history. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can imagine it being like that. They just love trolling Americans. So if it was Americans giving the poll, I, yeah, that makes they sense. They would have been like, who's calling? And they would have been like, America? Yes, <laughs> 100%. Like, we are all history. Yes. <laughs> so Russia's number one at 61%. Well, there you go. Followed by the UK at 55%. Yeah, that was, that was my next guess. India, 54%. Hong Kong, 51%. And Malaysia, 49%. So that's the top five. Huh. Of ranking self. I would have expected France to be much higher. Self-reported ranking. No, they were somewhere in the middle. That's crazy. I usually think of French people as finding themselves to be very important. Sorry if you're (laughs) listening to your French. That's your bias. Yeah. Now, on the other side of things, the bottom five or the most humble Mm -hmm. countries were the Netherlands, Hungary, New Zealand, Norway, and Switzerland. Well, that all makes sense. Yeah. Especially New Zealand. They know there's like hardly anybody there. Yeah. They're like, well, like, we got Peter Jackson. They're like, we are we are an island. Most people don't even know the difference between us and Australia. Yeah. We don't. Good day. <laughs> Most Americans don't for sure. Yeah. Anyway, fascinating study. That is that is really collective cool. narcissism, group think. Yeah. How being a part of something makes you kind of biased towards that thing, even unrealistically. Uh, completely unrealistically. Because yeah. When you when I look at the map for the the one for the United States, the thing that sticks out to me is I would think that Pennsylvania would be like the most important state because that's where the Constitution and everything or the yeah the Constitution was written at Constitution Hall in Pennsylvania. Uh, but no, they're not the highest. Virginia is, and Virginia I'm like, was like we're number one. <laughs> and I, I, that seems off to me. And then also that I would think New York would be very uh, high because New York is super important, but. They're still apparently less than Delaware. (laughs) Go figure. Go figure. The biggest city in the world. Or in America, I mean, New York City. The Big Apple. So you had said that uh, narcissism was, you know, one of the most interesting parts of psychology to you. Yeah. And I agree totally. And it's something that uh, I hear a lot of therapists talk about. When When you look up narcissism on YouTube and everything, you'll get a lot of therapists that'll tell you about narcissism. And um, there's there's a couple of other things that therapists talk about that I think is as interesting and certainly very useful in your daily life. 
Um, and one of those things that they talk about is something called transference. And what transference is in therapy terms is the way the patient feels about you. The therapist? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So if you are a therapist and you have a patient come in, what they project onto you, if they if they start assuming that you're going to hurt them, they're somebody that has a pathology that they think people are out to hurt them. Right. They're going to transfer onto you their feelings about the world. That's usually what happens in therapy. And there's another phenomenon that's even more interesting called countertransference. And that is how you, the therapist, feel about your patient. Oh. And that's actually an important part of uh, therapy and psychology that I've always found is underappreciated. A lot of people don't realize what countertransference is and why it's so important. So it's like a gut feeling. So even therapists are human beings. So they might have a patient that makes them feel uncomfortable, makes them feel threatened. They might have one that they just dread seeing. Uh Uh-huh. And that phenomenon is valuable. A lot of people try to think of therapists as being to be this blank slate and they shouldn't have any feelings, but that's not true because that person's going to go in the world and what they're carrying with them and the way they make other people feel is going to affect the way they are treated. Mm -hmm. So you as a therapist need to understand that and understand what your feelings about those people are. And so we might call that intuition. I mean, we all do it in our lives, you know. Yeah, it's like your kind of gut your gut feeling about people or feeling about a person, which we often tend to override or try mm-hmm. to suppress. And I don't think we should. I think that it's very important. I've known that in my life there have been people who have made me uncomfortable, and I just stop being around those people. If yeah, somebody, and it's one of those things where you're like, I can't explain why. Uh-huh. Just I just know. Yeah, and I feel like. That doesn't, it doesn't mean you get to diagnose that person, but it does mean there's something happening there, especially if it's common. If you have a person who everyone hates at your job, there's probably a reason. It's probably not all of you. It's probably them. Yeah. And uh, we sometimes tend to undervalue that, but I feel like therapists really understand it and they have terms for it. And these terms are transference and countertransference. And the more you learn about them, the more you realize they're applicable in daily life and they really do help you understand the, the psychology of another person. Hmm. It's, and I wonder if in terms of politics, this could be used to kind of explain why Trump supporters uh-huh. were so gung ho for Trump. I and do. one of the things they and one of the things they would always say would be like, you know, it's just it's in my gut. Uh, yes. I feel like he's a good leader. Right. And he's the leader for me. And I think that pathology there, what's happening, uh, I would call that the countertransference of he is making them feel comfortable because he's a strong man. He's an authoritarian type leader and he's going to do all the thinking for them and he's going to lay everything out cut and dry and they don't have to deal with any conflict or criticism or trying to figure out the way things should change. They get to keep everything the same because I believe at bottom, the psychology of Trump supporters is they're afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And he gives them something to not be afraid with. And, and I think that's really interesting. It's interesting because you and I had the t- the opposite response to Donald Trump. Oh yeah, he makes me feel completely grossed out and scared and uncomfortable and, uncomfortable. and worried for the future. Uh huh. Because I remember when he was campaigning and then got elected. Uh, like my yes. my gut instinct response was one mm-hmm. of panic and fear and like oh god. And I I really do believe that that's because you and I think change is a good thing and we're not scared. And those people who think change is bad and are scared think he's the bee's knees. Right. And isn't that fascinating? I really think it is. I think it explains a lot. And it's like I said, it's a therapy term that people don't really ever think about. And we tend to 
devalidate gut feelings, but I think that's wrong. I think we should, our gut feelings are a lot more important than we like to give them credit for. So my gut feeling about this show is that it's a uh, gold, it's comedy gold, <laughs> and that we should win all the podcast awards. All the awards. And I'm pretty sure that that's correct. So <laughs> another uh, interesting thing that they do in uh, therapy that therapists will talk about a lot that I find also helps you understand the world is a thing called systems theory. Okay. Systems theory, you may have seen on Dr. Phil, they like to use it a lot on there. Uh-huh. But it, the, the idea is that you could look at someone misbehaving in a unit, say a family unit, and you have the teenager and the teenage boy usually is misbehaving. Mm-hmm. You could look at it as that's a problem with the teenage boy and that boy needs to go to therapy and we need to analyze that boy. That's one way of looking at it. Or you could look at the family as one unit and the teenage boy misbehaving as a symptom of something wrong with the entire family. Okay. And that's usually the case. You'll find if kids are lashing out, it's not all just because there's something wrong with the kid. It's usually caused by other phenomena. Right. And Dr. Phil does that a lot on his show where mm-hmm. he, he pulls in the whole family and says mm-hmm. like, yeah, your kid's misbehaving, but why? Why? What, yeah. are, what are you doing, parent, mm-hmm. to cause this? Or how are you contributing to this behavior? Yeah. And so what you do in that case is you, it's kind of a, br- a bridging of sociology and psychology in a way because you're taking a group of people and diagnosing and treating them as if they were an individual. And again, back to politics here. I can't. Uh-huh. I can't help myself. Yeah, I would kind of think that that could also explain the Trump phenomenon yes. as well, in terms of like Trump being like the misbehaving, the misbehaving child, child in the system that is the Republican Party. Yeah, and I the agree. system, the family unit being the Republican Party, and it's downslide or yeah. downfall over the years I into agree. what it is, basically producing. This Trump child, yeah, this birth, yes, <laughs> like, yes, that then goes to misbehave like he does. I, mm-hmm. I agree. I think that Donald Trump is a symptom of the the dysfunction in the Republican Party, not just a bad apple, as they say. Right. Very similar to what I would say about Derek Chauvin, who the cop, the, the cop who killed mm-hmm. George Floyd. You could say he's just a bad dude, but I don't think so. I think he's a symptom of the problems that we have in policing. And I think a lot of people would agree. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think as well, like, now that Trump is gone, thank goodness, mm-hmm. what a relief. But also that family unit mm-hmm. is still there. It's still very much dysfunctional. They basically <laughs> yeah. just sent the kid off to, like, a boot camp like they would do on Dr. Phil. Yeah. <laughs> And, We're going to send you away to this camp. But the family is still a bunch of alcoholic meth heads who are <laughs> beating each other and <laughs> huffing gasoline outside the back of the bowling alley. That's incredibly specific. Yeah, well. But also I feel like accurate. Yeah, that's where we're at with Republicans. We Our last week's episode, if you want to catch up on Republican Madness, that was a good one. It was called The Elephant in the Room. Yeah, and go, go check that one out. It, and if you think about the uh, the Republican Party as a whole, I would diagnose them with a lot of things. They have a lot of things. They have a over-ego and self-importance for sure. Um. Yes, without a doubt. And selective memory. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And maybe a little bit of PTSD because a black guy was president. Oh, yeah. And they're still upset about that. Yeah. I think they have a little bit of PTSD from that. <laughs> it's it's also fun to just diagnose Republicans in general. I know it's a thing we like to do. We do. We love it. And so we invented a game for this week. It's a special little game we're calling DSM <laughs> Roulette, where uh, Amanda here has kindly and generously picked out five quote, random disorders from the uh, from the DSM. And we're going to 
discuss a little bit about each one, and then we're going to pick some Republicans that may have this particular disorder. <laughs> and just this, a reminder, we have no formal qualifications. Yeah, there's no us. qualifications for us to do it, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, so it's a, it's a game uh, we're calling uh, DSM Roulette. So disorder number one, non-rapid eye movement sleep arousal disorder. <laughs> which is the recurrent episodes of incomplete awakening from sleep, usually occurring during the first third of the major sleep episode, accompanied by either sleepwalking or sleep terrors. No or little dream imagery is recalled. Amnesia for the episode is present. Episodes are not due to drug use or medication. Huh. Which Republican... Has this. I think Mitch McConnell has that. I think he writes legislation like when he sleepwalks and it's super racist because that's how he is. And then he forgets that he blocked a Supreme Court justice for nine months. Right. He was sleepwalking that whole time. That's why he doesn't remember that and rushed another one through in eight days. That's Arr. my that's my diagnosis for turtle Mitch. Also, he's a turtle. He's a, yeah. Marr. So whatever diagnosis that is. <laughs> I actually think you're correct on mm-hmm. that assessment yeah. and diagnosis. Uh, yeah. I would actually also say I agree. Okay. Mitch McConnell most likely has non-rapid eye movement sleep arousal disorder. Yes, he does. Disorder number two, pyromania, which is the deliberate and purposeful fire setting on more than <laughs> one occasion. That's every Republican. Fascination with interest in curiosity about or attraction to fire and its situational context. Pleasure, gratification, or relief when setting fires or when witnessing or participating in their aftermath. Fire setting is not explained by conduct disorder, a manic episode, or antisocial personality disorder. Oh, okay. So since since antisocial isn't part of it, then that rules out me just saying it's all Republicans. Right. But I have a, uh, I think Sean Hannity loves to set fires just for the fuck of it. I think you're probably right. I mean, he's on television. Mm-hmm. Constantly just starting controversies <laughs> over bullshit. Setting, setting random fires. Yeah, that's just what he does. I'm going to say Roseanne. <laughs> oh, Roseanne. Is probably a pyromaniac. Yeah, I think so. You're probably right. She yeah. likes to take to Twitter after and just start dosing fires. on her Ambien. <laughs> yeah. Her racist Ambien uh-huh. and sets fires. I think... Uh, um, Sarah Palin might also fall in that category. She Ooh. loved to just set fires. She, yo, yes. That she lady. Just, oh, I like to hunt moose. Oh, the maverick. Yeah. So those are a couple, I think. Disorder number three, incapricis, <laughs> which is the repeated passage of feces into inappropriate places, whether <laughs> involuntarily or intentional. At least one such event occurs every month for at least three months, and it's not due to substance abuse or medication. (laughs) Well, that one Donald Trump definitely has. He he just likes to shit in inappropriate places all the time. That's his favorite thing. And he doesn't drink or do drugs from anything I've ever heard. I'm going to say I agree. I think he does have incapricis. Yeah. And I'm also going to put the entire January 6th insurrectionists (laughs) in this category. They did shit in the inappropriate place. They literally shit in Nancy Pelosi's desk drawer. Yeah, and I bet some of them probably shit in other weird places too. I have no doubt that they did. Yeah, that's a good one. We're going to diagnose them. Yeah, all of them. With that. Okay, that's good. Disorder number four, paranoid personality disorder, a pervasive distrust and suspiciousness of others such as such that their motives are interpreted as malevolent. 
suspects, without sufficient basis, that others are exploiting, harming, or deceiving them, persistently Hmm. bears grudges, and reads hidden, demeaning, or threatening meanings into benign remarks or events. Wow. Well, I could put Madison Cawthorn in that one because he thinks that Joe Biden wants to tear down the wall and needs the Donument Act to protect it. (laughs) So he's paranoid as hell. He's definitely paranoid. Um, I'm going to throw in Candace Cameron, the actress. <laughs> DJ. DJ Tanner from Full House. Uh-huh. I'm going to I'm gonna uh, diagnose her with paranoid personality oh. disorder. Um, she has like makeup and stuff. She sells on QVC. Yeah. And every time I see her on there, her eyes are always darting around the room. Oh. Like she's paranoid about who might be there watching. Maybe it'd be, <laughs> maybe, you know. Uh, Bob Saget sort of looking around the corner <laughs> getting ready to give her a life lesson and she just doesn't want to do she's that She's like, again. no, absolutely not. No there more Democrats life lessons here. from you. Keep them away. Oh yeah, she's scared of the Democrats. That's, ugh. Yeah, gross. Mm-hmm. And number five, antisocial personality disorder. <laughs> a pervasive pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others occurring since age 15 can include failure to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviors, deceitfulness as indicated by repeated lying, use of aliases, or conning others for personal profit or pleasure, impulsivity or failure to plan ahead, reckless disregard for safety of self or others, lack of remorse as indicated by being indifferent to or rationalizing having hurt, mistreated or stolen from others oh this is a good one i think the number one i have to put here is the zodiac killer himself ted cruz (laughs) yeah because he's a zodiac killer and that means he clearly doesn't care about other people and has been antisocial since he's been zodiac killing that's true that's true also donald trump clearly he used a lot of aliases and doesn't care about anybody else and is most definitely antisocial that one, I think he's actually probably been diagnosed with. <laughs> I think not formally, but I think there have been some professionals that have been willing to come out and say they're they're pretty certain. He, that he's antisocial? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, certainly he fits the pattern more yeah. than anybody I've ever seen, probably. He Except would, for the Zodiac Killer. Yeah, I think he would be the one. Him and, yeah, Ted Cruz. Nice. That's And that was our game. <laughs> that was our uh, DSM roulette. DSM roulette Woo-hoo. game. Who won? Uh... Well, I mean, America lost. <laughs> we could say that. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, because the guy who was uh, fit most of these disorders was the president for a while. That's true. Yeah. So we lost briefly, but then <laughs> we're all right. We're doing all right now because we got Grandpa Joe. That's right. So from our estimation, that's pretty much how you should diagnose people is just sort of flip randomly through the DSM <laughs> and find something and then figure out a person that you think fits that thing. I think that's how they do it. I'm pretty sure that's how it it actually happens. Yeah, so it's a good game you should play at home with your friends and family. Get together for a little DSM roulette. I'm sure everyone will appreciate it. <laughs> uh, but what's great about it is you can use it to shit on Republicans, which is something we do on this show quite frequently. And if you want to hear more of it, you can find those episodes on our website. CarolinaSnowflakes.com Also, we have a Facebook where we diagnose each other randomly with disorders. It's pretty fun. Facebook.com forward slash Carolina Snowflakes. And if your disorder that yeah I want to discuss is a little bit more private and you want to slide into the DMs, you can always give us an email. Carolina Snowflakes at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.